Morning, everybody. I'm reading from Luke 8, 1 to 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, who, from whom the seven demons had come out of, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Harold's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that was pretty short. <laughs> One would think the message might be. <laughs> but you would be wrong. <clears throat> Whenever you're reading the Bible and you hit a seemingly innocuous or irrelevant little bit, just stop. Just stop right there and go back and reflect on what seems insignificant, small or tiny, because it's probably there for a reason, because in 2 Timothy 3.16, God said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this isn't just here just because Luke thought, oh, it's a good idea, I'll just throw this in here. There's, it's here for a specific purpose. Here is a passage we're just tempted to blow by without really much thought. And I would prefer we stop and ask why. Why does Luke include and provide these details here? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides joint and marrow. It exposes the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. <clears throat> and so, Lord, we thank you for the story that Luke has written of your life, that this gospel that we get to read, and he's included so many different characters and so many different people, and he's given us so many different names of those that you touched and healed and who followed you. And so, Lord, help us to learn from that today. As the psalmist said in Psalm 119, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight, and they are my counselors. Amen. So, one of the things we have to remember when we're looking at the Gospel of Luke is we have to remember Luke. We have to remember that somebody wrote this for a purpose. Uh, often we get into the Gospels and we can think specifically about the events of Jesus' life, right? And, and that's exactly what they're there to communicate, but there's another layer that we need to unpack, and that is who wrote this and to whom are they writing and why are they writing it? And so here is our good Dr. Luke writing to Theophilus, and back in chapter one, verses, uh, the first four verses of the book, he says, my dear Theophilus, I'm writing this to you so that you know for certain the things that you have been taught, and a bunch of people have been trying to write down everything that's been fulfilled among us. 
And so I thought it was a good idea that I would sit down and I would collect all the data and I would do some interviews and I'd, I'd read through other things that people have written and I'd set down for you an accurate and careful account of everything that's gone on so that you just know for certain the things that have been taught to you. And so this is what Luke is doing. He specifically set out to write a life of Jesus based on a lot of information and a lot of sources and he's pulled this all together. And often we, we look, you know, <laughs> one of the reasons I don't necessarily like a red letter edition is we often then ignore the black parts. And the black parts are where the author is actually speaking to us. And remember in, in uh, I remember First uh, Peter or Second Peter, you know, men wrote from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So Luke is being inspired to write the black bits too. Right? They're just as important and just as inspired. By the way, all the red letter stuff is an English adaptation of Greek, which is a translation from Aramaic, so we're already three languages removed from the beginning <laughs> of what Jesus said. Anyway, here is a passage where we have the voice of Luke. And he's setting a scene for us. Verse 1, soon afterward, he went on through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. So Jesus, he, Luke is telling us Jesus is, is on an itinerant mission here. He is, he is wandering. The, the went on is an imperfect verb. It's a continuation of travel. Jesus is not just going from point A to point B at this point. He is kind of wandering around, going from city to city and village to village. And this is a key transition point in Luke's story because prior to this, Luke told us that Jesus was going around from city to city, teaching and preaching in the synagogues. You have to go back to chapter 4, verse 43 to 44. He told us that that was Jesus' specific focus. And that's where Jesus has been active for the last while in Luke's telling of the gospel, the story of Jesus. There was a synagogue tour, if you will. Now there is no mention of the synagogue. There is an increase in opposition to Jesus and his ministry. He is now in Galilee and will be up until 9.50, in chapter 9, verse 51, Luke will come in again and he said, he'll say, now Jesus set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. Now there's a point A to point B journey. And actually chapter 9, all the way to chapter 19, is this one journey of Jesus heading toward Jerusalem. And so Luke's scene setting, he is connecting us on, on this longer journey from the synagogue after the, uh, for, from the synagogue in Nazareth to a synagogue tour of the Galilee region, to a broader ministry in the Galilee region, and then to a singular journey to Jerusalem. And he takes nine chapters to bring this about. So Jesus is an itinerant ministry now. He is proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God proclaiming, announcing, preaching, declaring, and bringing the good news. Bringing the good news. Was it, don't we just proclaim the good news? Isn't it just a verbal thing? No, it's, it's, good news is something that is brought as well. 
It's something that has to be embodied and brought into contact with other people. And this is what Jesus is doing. He is not just speaking it. He is embodying it and he is walking the good news out. And the 12 were with him. And so here Luke is gonna give us some of the travel companions of Jesus and, and Luke's theological vision here. As he says, there's a bunch of people accompanying Jesus. The 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, why does Luke choose this point in his story to tell us specific names of specific women who are following Jesus? No other gospel does this. Only Luke does this. Because at least two of them show up later in the story. See, we often kind of get a visualization that when Jesus was walking from place to place, and when he was on his journeys, that the only disciples that followed him were guys. But these women were with him from the time in Galilee to the crucifixion. They were the only ones who witnessed the burial, and they were the first ones to witness the resurrected Lord. And they're named. Why are they named? I've come to the conclusion that the names that were given are because the early church knew who these people were. The initial readers knew them. It's, it's kind of like when we, uh, a couple of years ago, we went through the Gospel of Mark and we got to the end and uh, the guy that gets to carry the cross, only Mark tells us his name as Simon of Cyrene, right? Who gets to, who, who they forced to carry the cross and then Mark says, oh, by the way, he's the dad of Rufus and another guy. I was like, why would you include that if the reader didn't know who they were? Now, if we look at it, we actually know more about Mary Magdalene than we do most of the apostles. Right? There's a bunch of apostles where we have their name and that's it. They're on the list once. Mary Magdalene, we know a ton more about. Think about it. We're already told that, you know, she's from Magdala. That's the name of a town. That's what her name means. Mary called Magdalene. She is from this town from whom seven, seven demons had gone out. Now again, Christian tradition has filled in the blanks and called her a prostitute because apparently that's the only thing we can think of. I'm, I'm willing to bet when we get, I haven't done any look on this yet, but I'm willing to bet when we get to the, the passage where there's the woman who had uh, bleeding for 12 years, I bet you there's going to be a lot of interpreters down through the years that have claimed that it was because of sexual promiscuity. I just, it's just a guess at this point, but it just seems that, it just seems that that's the way it goes with a lot of European white, male-dominated biblical interpretation. We always throw the women under the bus. Luke doesn't let us do that. 
He gives them names. Mary Magdalene. Again, we know so much more about her. We go to the end of Luke's gospel, end of Mark's gospel, actually end of all the gospels. She is there at the cross. We know John was there, but for the most part, like some of the other gospels are like, and all his followers fled, except for a group of women. They stuck around. They were at the cross. The end of Luke's gospel tells us that that both Mary and Joanna were at the cross and they witnessed the burial of Jesus. They knew exactly where the tomb was. And they were also the first to witness Jesus resurrected. I was thinking about this this morning, reflecting on this, because a sermon is never, ever finished. Um, Why did Jesus stick around in the garden near the tomb and appear to Mary first? Why? He didn't have to. Like it wasn't like, oh man, that stone was heavy. I just need to sit down and take a break for a while. (laughs) I mean, this is the resurrected Lord. He could have appeared to anyone anywhere on earth at that moment. You know, he showed up to the apostles behind locked doors. He just, boom, there he was. He could have appeared to anybody first, but he chose Mary. I wonder why. And other women who were there, compare all the gospel accounts. The first to witness the resurrection, the first to proclaim the resurrection of the Lord, only to be thought that they were being emotionally crazy. This reveals, I think, the reach, scope of Jesus' ministry. Not only did he call 12 to follow him, but others came alongside and they followed him too. And some of them were women and they followed him from Galilee all the way to the cross and to the empty tomb. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. Like, how did this come about? Herod's household manager. Interestingly, Luke includes more details about Herod Antipas than any of the other gospels. You wonder what Luke's source might have been. Here it is. Because we're, we're told later that, you know, Herod hears about this and he's wondering, who, I killed John the Baptist, what's going on here? And, and it says that Herod was eagerly wanting to see Jesus because he had questions. And then later in the book, we, only Luke tells us that Jesus appeared before Herod during his trials. That Pilate said, well, he's from Galilee, send him to Herod. So they sent him to Herod, and Herod's like, I don't know. I don't know what the big deal is. I've been waiting to see this guy for three years now. Finally, I get to meet him. He's a bit nuts. Let's just dress him up in a robe and have some fun with it and send him back to Pilate. But only Luke knows of this scene. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, likely the source. Both are named 
And so they are likely known to the readers. And we also know from chapter 24, verse 10, that Joanna is a, a witness to the resurrection as well. And Susanna, we don't know that she's kind of like up there with the majority of the apostles. We don't know anything else about her, only her name. And many others who provided for them, Jesus and the apostles, out of their means. They followed Jesus and they gave extravagantly, sacrificially in worship, an ongoing commitment in action. In, in some ways, I was thinking this is again, just thinking about this this morning, we have three women here who are following Jesus and what did it potentially cost them? I mean, obviously it cost them out of their own means, out of, out of what they had, but this is not normal behavior in the first century. And James Edwards in the Pillar New Testament commentary says, it was not uncommon for women to support a Jewish rabbi financially, but it was virtually unknown for women to travel with the rabbis. This is not a practice that the authors of the early church would invent. And this argues for the historical accuracy of our gospels because this is outside of the cultural confines of first century Judaism. This normally wouldn't happen, but we know that these women followed him all the way to the cross. This also reveals that Jesus' ministry uh, cut across the social spectrum. We have Mary Magdalene, who had been uh, demon-possessed. We have Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, uh, rather up there in the social, economic, and even political realm. And they're all following Jesus together. Reminds me, at the end of chapter 9, at the end of chapter nine, we have three women named here who are following Jesus. And in the end of chapter nine, we have three people who come to Jesus and say, we'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. And then and he said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Let me fulfill family duties. Jesus said to him, leave the dead, bury their own dead, but as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let, first let me go say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Interestingly, we have three women here who have left what they know to follow Jesus out of love and devotion for how he has freed them. And here we have three people at the end of chapter nine as we turn our face toward Jerusalem who want to follow Jesus based on their own conditions. I wonder if Luke is creating a vast parallel here that he wants us to see. What would it have cost Joanna? How did this work out relationally with Cusa that she would become a follower of Jesus? In the Cornerstone Biblical Commentary, says this in relation to Joanna and Cusa, no doubt there were social and political costs to their commitment. Even more remarkable is the fact of the risks associated with discipleship and that being compounded for them as women. It would cost them more. They were breaking some fairly significant cultural boundaries in this moment. 
but they had every reason to follow Jesus because in Jesus they found healing and release from evil spirits and infirmities. They had been healed. They had been made whole. The word here for healed is therapeuo. <laughs> Jesus gave them the therapy they needed to be free from everything that had hindered them in life. And they were following him and they were giving generously because of what Jesus had done for them. Not for a tax receipt, not for personal influence over the organization. They gave out of love and devotion to Jesus for the fact that he had set them free. In 2 Corinthians 8, 3 to 9, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to embrace giving generously and giving generously coming out of the fact that Jesus, who was rich, became poor for your sake so that we might have the riches of God. Therefore, be generous financially with your giving. Like that's the motivation for giving. Really, the biblical motivation for giving is simply a generous and thankful heart for the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. That's the key takeaway. That we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, therefore extravagant and sacrificial worship and an ongoing commitment and action is necessary. These women model the discipleship that Jesus calls out for over and over. They leave and they cling to Jesus and they follow him to the very end. James Edwards, again from the Pillar New Testament commentary, Luke himself is tutored in Jesus' radical inclusive fellowship. For the third gospel is replete with men and women paired in the story of salvation. In Luke's gospel, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth. We see Simeon and Anna. We see Mary and Joseph's kind of a tag-along. There's Simon, the Pharisee, and the sinful woman that we looked at last week. There's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna. There's Martha, there's Mary. There's the shepherd who loses a sheep and a woman who loses a coin in parallel parables. There's a Sabbath healing in chapter 14. And Jesus says, why would I not heal this woman? For she too is a daughter of Abraham. And the widow's might is held up against the Pharisee's extravagant giving throughout the gospel of Luke, the story of salvation is one in which both men and women participate. Leon Morris in the Tyndale New Testament commentary, here we learn that these women responded in love and gratitude for what Jesus has done for them. It is heartwarming to read of this group of women who supported Jesus, and it is worth reflecting that the Gospels record no woman as ever taking action against Jesus. His enemies were all men. Now he says it's worth reflecting on that, but he leaves it there. I was like, well, where's more reflection on that? Come on, like, spell that out for me. Do that work ourselves, I guess. The cornerstone commentary again, these female disciples showed their loyalty to Christ by following him to the very end being present at the crucifixion, 
the entombment, and on the morning of the resurrection. These women followed him, and as in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. They had been freed, they had been healed, they had been set free and saved. I wonder if the woman from our last passage, the sinner at Simeon's house, was one of them, one of the many others who provided, one of the many others who followed Jesus all the way. So many people following Jesus, men and women, living out lives of clear discipleship, counting the cost, paying the cost. I've actually been mulling that over. Should we count the cost or should we just pay the cost? Yeah. Song out of a rush song. We will not, we will pay the price, but we will not count the cost. We will pay the price, but we will not count the cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily and come after me. Follow me. Walk the road I'm walking. Go where I am going. Think about the world around you through my eyes and my heart and my passion for the people around you. And I think this is Luke's overall purpose. It's gonna, it follows our last passage and it precedes our next passage. In fact, Luke has, has, uh, if you compare this to both Mark and and, uh, Matthew, Luke does something interesting here. He He shifts the response of Jesus' family to the end of this, we're going to get, we, we get this short transition, and then we get the parable of the sower. All the other gospels put Jesus' mother and brother's response to his ministry before the parable of the sower. Luke moves it to after, where his mothers and brothers come to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In Mark's gospel, it says they were coming to take charge of him because they thought he had lost his mind. And think of the parable of the sower in the midst of this. Jesus has been sowing the seed of the gospel wherever he goes. And some are responding to it like a woman who comes and weeps at his feet and washes his feet with her hair and pours perfume on his feet. And we have women who are set free, made whole, redeemed and restored, and they leave their homes and their possessions, and they come and they follow Jesus. And he's been sowing these seeds of the gospel wherever he's going, and things are starting to grow. And may they grow in our hearts as we look at how Jesus reaches people, touches people, redeems people, And let us look at our own hearts and our own lives and know that because we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we should be extravagant 
and sacrificial in our worship and an ongoing commitment to action to follow Jesus no matter where the road leads us. These women were committed to doing that. They were motivated by the fact that Jesus had set them free and they gave themselves generously to serve, to provide. The word there is deacon, to provide for them, to diakoneo, to serve them. May that be our motivation for serving one another for serving the church, for serving our community, that we do this out of an overflow of the redeeming work that God has done in our lives. This transitional passage, though it's short, offers us much to think about. It's kind of a narrative pause and a transition. It begins a new section that's gonna start here with these dedicated women following Jesus, and it's going to wrap up with Peter declaring, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was to come to bring restoration and healing to the world. And he does. And so the redeemed, the set free and the saved, offer themselves in extravagant and sacrificial worship. They follow him. We know their names. We know something of their lives. And we know that this is going to continue. For Peter says in Acts chapter 2 in his marvelous sermon, that the, he's quoting Joel, he's saying, in the last days the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And it's going to be amazing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for including and highlighting people like Mary and Joanna and Susanna. Women who followed you and Lord, I, I imagine that this, wonder what the, what the conversation was between Joanna and Cusa as she followed Jesus on this road. How long Cusa stayed in the employment of Herod and what their whole story was. Oh, it'll be so interesting to find that out one day. We get to meet them, read the story, hear the story, know the story of their lives and following Jesus in the midst of being in a high political position? What challenges did they have to overcome? And the fact that they were joyfully embracing that because of what Jesus had done for them. The Lord, may our lives as we walk in the newness and the freedom that you provide for us, may we have that sense of there is no cost that we're going to count, but there is a price we're going to pay. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to embrace what he has for us. We're going to lay down our, perhaps our comfort, our routine, our, our, our normal. Because following you just is an adventure that doesn't stop. 
And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for your radical generosity. Thank you for the radical inclusion that went beyond cultural norms of the day. And help us to see what we need to learn from this. And as, as we see this group of people following you all the way to the cross, and this group of women being the only ones to witness where you were buried and the first ones to whom you appeared on Easter morning, and that is not an accident, and that's not just a circumstance. I believe you were deliberate in that, and so, Lord, help us to see what you want us to see in this. Open our hearts to what what you're saying. Lord, that our worship can be extravagant that our dedication to you needs to be ongoing. And that as you called the disciples to leave, the apostles to leave their fishnets and follow you, so too there were women who were leaving their situation and following you. And Lord, thank you for this example that we see through Luke's eyes and Luke's gospel. May we hear what you have to say to your church today. In Jesus' name, amen.